Well, this administration has no tolerance for domestic violence. There's a record here of supporting men who behave abhorrently, allegedly, towards women. I think the White House could have handled this better. Instead, we've been misled and we've been lied to time and again. And for what? To cover up for the guy who allegedly did this? Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So good old Trey Gowdy, representative of the great state of South Carolina, says that the House Oversight Committee has launched an investigation into how the Trump administration handled the exit of wife choking, black eye delivering, window smashing Rob Porter. Specifically, the House wants to know what the White House knew and when. Now, the FBI director, Christopher Wray, contradicted the White House, which still can't get its story straight on the Porter timeline. So, Shockerino, the executive branch of our government, such as it is, that branch being closer to splinters, is at odds with the FBI and American intelligence. So, in steps Congress and a Republican, Trey Gowdy, what a relief. He always makes everything better. In other news, Michael Cohen, Trump's lawyer Guy Friday, has said he paid off Trump consort Stormy Daniels out of, what, I can't even say this, his own pocket? Or at least, I mean, that he didn't use campaign money. But of course, he did pay her off because, yep, she was allegedly sleeping with Trump or whatever Trump does with women, urine, vomit. I'm sure it was an affair to remember. Let's pause here for lost love between Don and Stormy on Valentine's Day. Anyway, they were having their affair while Trump was married to Melania, who was pregnant at the time with their son, Barron. Now, she was over 35 then, by the way, which Trump has said is checkout time on a marriage. He's also said he feared she wouldn't get her body back. So really, who can blame him for seeking solace in Stormy's arms? It's worth remembering that my co-host, the straight-laced Jacob Weisberg, creator of Trumpcast, has friends in common with Stormy Daniels and also texted with her in 2016 and still has her in his phone contacts. So really, Trumpcast is front and center in this story. And speaking of front and center, I did something so stupid today. Okay, basically, I got a direct message on Twitter from Larry Summers, who would recognize me no more than Montgomery Burns used to recognize Homer Simpson, meaning not at all. But this Larry Summers was asking me to read over something he'd written and my heart leapt. Mummy, copy editing something, bye-bye, former sectrej and Harv Prez, Lawrence Summers. Listener, I didn't click on the link, but I did ask Larry Summers to verify that it was him, and he sent me some emojis, and that looked good enough for me. So I clicked on the link and did everything but enter my social security number, and the Turks took over my Twitter. They also sent me a map of the Adirondacks saying they wanted me to kidnap a cleric for Erdogan. And I quote, they said, don't fuck it up like Mike Flynn did. Heffernan. So I'm on my way to get that cleric because I just got to get back into Twitter. Okay, no, they didn't do that. But they did send some heavy metal images of fiery Turks and a Turkish flag and then some relax, relax. We love you, Virginia. We come in peace and we just want to ask you questions. (sighs) I kind of sorted it out with help of hacking sharpshooter Molly McHugh, but then I got shut out. So let this be an object lesson in vanity. Don't think Larry Summers wants you to proofread anything. He doesn't care about you, and it's not him anyway. Today's show is not about Summers or Stormy, though, but it's about how this past Stormy summer, when the FBI told the White House about Rob Porter and for some reason 
The White House gave Porter interim security clearance anyway. It's also about the White House chief of staff, the bonkers, wild-eyed Marine John Kelly. My guest today to talk Porter, Kelly, and this treacherous and unraveling White House is Jane Coaston, senior politics reporter at Vox. I will be back with Jane in just a minute. Joining me on the line is Jane Coaston. She's the senior politics reporter for Vox. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so will you just, we, we have so much to cover. Will you just walk us through the whole demise of Rob Porter, Harvard Law School graduate, Rhodes Scholar, twice married and divorced by the time he was 37, <laughs> not saying anything, no judgment there. He also had a long-term girlfriend and is now, of course, the escort boyfriend of our beloved Hope Hicks. But he no longer works for the White House. So tell us what brought him down. So last week, the Daily Mail published a story discussing abuse allegations from Rob Porter's two ex-wives. His first wife, Colby Holderness, released pictures of herself with a black eye that um, she said that Porter gave her by punching her in the face. Um, on a side note, Porter came up, apparently told reporters, and I, it's a very confusing timeline, but Porter reportedly told uh, reporters that she uh, fell and hit her eye which I, you know, I'm glad that we're branching off from the old walked into a door excuse, but you know, that's just me. Anyway, so uh, Ms. Holderness released those photographs and his second wife, Jennifer Willoughby, revealed uh, to the Daily Mail that she had filed for an emergency protective order against him in 2010. Now, what the scandal is for the White House is that the White House would have been aware of this in order to have the position of staff secretary, you need to go through a background check. And so, you know, there was a lot of conversation. Um, I think Kelly first, Chief of Staff John Kelly first defended Rob Porter in a statement to the Daily Mail, as did uh, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders. And then when the photographs of Colby Hordness came out, that's when Kelly said, um, you know, he was shocked by these allegations this is, you know, this is completely unacceptable. I've accepted his resignation. And, you know, he said that these allegations were new. And it was interesting also because on that same day, uh, during a press briefing, Press Secretary Sanders said that, you know, Porter had decided to leave the White House on his own accord, saying, look, I think that was a personal decision that Rob made and one that was that he was not pressured to do, but one that he made on his own. That then, then the timeline really starts getting confusing because the White House has not so far been able to stick to any one story on what happened here. Um, what, yeah, what have been some of their stories and also subtweets about this case from Donald Trump over the weekend? Um, tell us about those. So John Kelly said that he had, upon seeing the photographs, which, by the way, he likely would have known about because the FBI was made aware of these photographs existing months and months earlier. Upon seeing those photographs, he said that within 40 minutes of that taking place, which would be Tuesday night, mm -hmm. February 6th, he said that within 40 minutes of seeing those photographs, quote, he was gone, you know, with the implication that Kelly had terminated Porter's employment. Mm -hmm. However. During that same 40 minutes, Politico reported that Porter was meeting with reporters, including the New York Times's uh, Maggie Haberman and with a reporter from Axios. So Kelly is saying, I fired him after 40 minutes. 
Press Secretary Sanders is had reportedly set up a meeting during which Porter kind of gives his side of the story, which apparently the reporters did not buy his side of the story. So you've got these two conflicting timelines already. Wait, his side of the story, just there are not very fine people on both sides. There are very fine people on only one side, <laughs> as we know. But just to hear out Porter, how did he extenuate the pictures, the allegations you know, the charges, the the evidence that there was a restraining order taken out on him. What did he say about any of that stuff? Well, first of all, so Porter, during this meeting, um, which he had with reporters, he reported he conceded that he did call his second wife a fucking bitch. Ah. But <laughs> then he said that um, the black eye had been caused by quarreling over a Venetian glass vase and that during that altercation, Colby Hordness had accidentally bruised her eye. Um, and in, <laughs> I like that pause there, Jane. Yeah, it's um that that's kind of his side of the story, which, as you can tell, was not was not a very well done side of the story, and I'll was say. not given much credence or airtime, fortunately, by reporters. Um, one of right. the things that interests me here is I was over the weekend talking to. A friend of mine who was in corrections at Rikers Island and now does, quote, investigations for aspiring prison guards, meaning he looks into their backgrounds. You cannot be a prison guard at Rikers Island if you have a charge against you for domestic abuse or for any of these kind of crimes. Because the idea is you shouldn't be in any real position of authority with security obligations, even at that level even with charges. So this is not a question of, oh, it's got to be a he said, she said. Domestic abuse charges are not made lightly. I like to say that in this case, it wasn't that allegations surfaced of domestic abuse. It was that evidence surfaced of domestic abuse. So we're exactly. not talking Including about the emergency protect- protective order, which you know you can find that online. And in the state of Virginia, those protective orders need to be signed off by a magistrate. Wow. You right. know, you don't you don't just say that this has happened and immediately get one. There is a process one has to go through in order to receive an emergency protective order. So basically, you know, when Trump tweeted over the weekend that, you know, what's happened to due process, essentially hinting that anyone can step forward. He may be thinking of his friends, his buddy, Steve Wynn himself, other people charged with, you know, sexual crimes around him, including sexual and domestic crimes, including Rob Porter. He said, these are allegations, due process, they're owed due process, and they should be, you know, they have their their lives and careers ruined just because someone hurls some or does some smear campaign against them. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking. No, exactly. And also, I think that there's something, you know, you don't have a right to work in the White House. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have like. There, there is not a civil right to go to work in the Oval Office. Yes. And so I think that that's a lot of a lot of this discussion about due process seems to be bringing a legal term into a non-legal context. That's important. And I, I think, think that this is something that um, so the House Oversight Committee requ- has requested information from John Kelly as of this morning regarding the security clearance or the state of the interim security clearance that Porter received. Mm. Because the FBI said yesterday, you know, we concluded our investigation in July, which, by the way, would be under Reince Priebus's tenure mm. as chief of staff, not John Kelly's, because uh, Priebus was chief of staff until July 31st. So now we're talking about two chiefs of staff who were most likely aware of the allegations against him. 
especially since in order to receive an interim security clearance, the employing office has to sign off on that and say, like, yes, we're aware this person cannot have a permanent clearance, which Kelly allegedly was aware of as early as potentially November or as late as January of this year. But this person is so important and they do such a good job that they need to have this interim clearance. So we're going to say that. So there seems to be you know, a lot of information that the White House had with regards to Porter, and especially because both of Porter's ex-wives were interviewed in January as part of the uh, FBI clearance process. I don't know if anyone listening has ever helped anyone with an FBI clearance, but, you know, I have. And it involves having an FBI agent ask you a series of incredibly involved questions. It's it's said to be, you're talking about this is the SF-86, right? The form that is excruciating. I've never held someone's hand through it, but I understand, you know, they talk to your high school friends about the one time you got drunk. You know, if you say you tried pot three to five times in one context and four to six in another, they grill you on why the discrepancy. This is the form that almost all of us would fail. I mean, we would we would stammer. We would have a hard time getting through it, even those of us with squeaky clean reputations. And here you have Jared Kushner continuing with security clearance, even though he's had to redo that form many times and doesn't seem to have completed it to the satisfaction even of any sane person. He's had to change the number of contacts, Russian contacts and so forth. And Rob Porter, who did a lot more than smoke pot five times. Exactly. And gets this interim clearance. So I don't even think you have, you don't have to be at the Women's March. You don't have to be wearing a pink hat. You don't have to be a Me Too person. In other words, you can be insane and simply <laughs> hawkish and just want national, sec- you know, a secure national security team or, and people whose clearances are clean and not either subject to blackmail, prone to violence, or um, have just shady pasts dealing with the police. Exactly. So and I think yeah. that, you know, it's, it's worth remembering that if you want to visit the White House, um, let's you do a White House tour. A lot of those, you know, a lot of those tours require you to submit your Social Security number and information about you so that the Secret Service can do a check to make sure that you're, you know, you're not a crazed maniac. And I've known people who may or may not have, you know, been charged with possession of small amounts of marijuana, who for that reason, even if the charges were later dropped, even if nothing came of it, even if it was, say this took place in a state where medical marijuana recreational possession is now legal, they were not allowed to visit the White House. But apparently allegations and evidence of domestic violence charges is not too much to prevent you from working in the White House. So what makes it that John Kelly continues to say, and you've pointed out there's another case like this, where John Kelly, chief of staff, former head of the Department of Homeland Security, used to run Guantanamo Bay. Why would he possibly defend in such strenuous terms these people? Like, I don't think I've ever said of even someone I love, this is a fine man of integrity and honor. There's something protesting too much in, you know, why he says these things and why he steps up for them. And then why he comes down so hard on people like Frederica Wilson, people like, you know, is he showed indifference to a gold star war widow, Myshia Johnson, and has been also indifferent to what happened to La David Johnson in in Niger. So 
what do you make of this? these kind of strenuous defenses of these clear trespassers on American values and also the criminal justice system over and against an American congresswoman or a war widow? Well, I think that it's something that you're seeing within the GOP as a, as a whole. And, you know, I'll get back to Kelly in just a second, but I think we saw that with Steve Wynn. You know, you've got the GOP chairwoman really hammering the DNC for donations from Harvey Weinstein last year. Yeah. And yet you're seeing the same GOP chairwoman saying that, you know, we need to wait for the investigation into charges of sexual harassment against Steve Wynn. Even when Steve Wynn has resigned from, you know, all of his properties and resigned as finance chair of the Republican National Committee. And so you, know, you definitely see a sense that it has more to do with teams than it has to do with any sort of, you know, hunt for overall justice. And, you know, I think the case you're referring to is something that actually um, New York Times reporters Maggie Haberman and Peter Baker found, which was that uh, Kelly was a character witness for a former Marine colonel who was charged with sexually harassing a female subordinate. It was kind of a bit of a wild case, and it gets it got worse from there. Um, it involved the colonel driving drunk to his own arraignment. And so, you know, when Kelly spoke up for this former colonel, he said, you know, he was a super, superb Marine officer. And to him and to the other character witnesses, a lot of his problems had to do with post-traumatic stress disorder. Hmm. But then the Marine Colonel, Todd Shane Tomko, um, he served two months of jail time in the summer of 2016. He was arrested again in 2017 on seven felony warrants and charged with indecent liberties with a child, with some of those allegations going back to 2002 and involving him sexually molesting children who may have been related to him with three separate victims. And so, you know, there really is a sense, though, that with Kelly and a spirit within the GOP right now, that basically, if they're on your team, you defend them, you know, unto the breach, so to speak, yeah. that, you know, you're treating this sort of like Eagles Patriots rather than some sort of, you know, actual concern for the well-being, not, you know, not of a political party, but in this case, we're talking about the well-being of children, the well-being of women in the military, or the well-being of two former wives of the White House staff secretary. I guess my that's that's just to set up a question of how long is he for this world? How long is he Team Trump? Well, I think that it's it's really hard to say because, you know, I think that traditional notions of how this would work would say that John Kelly would have been fired like last Thursday. Yeah. Um, but now, especially since this is starting to involve so many other people, um, for lack of a better team, just screwing this up, you know, in terms of just the basic storyline, you know, I joked on Twitter that this is basically the we both reached for the gun scene from the movie Chicago. But if you had like three competing dueling dance sequences to explain whether or not Porter resigned or was terminated slash fired, you saw Deputy Press Secretary Rod Shaw giving both answers during a press conference last week, even though if Porter was terminated, that would be different from Porter resigning, which is, it, you know, and it, you're just seeing kind of this inability to keep a story straight. And, you know, I think that there's been a lot of conversation talking about how this could have been a like 24 hour story. Hmm. We found out about this. We fired him. We're done now. 
But instead, and I think that it might actually in some ways protect Kelly, and I'll kind of go back to that in just a second, but the overall just chaotic handling of Porter's removal from the White House, no matter how it happened, is just, I think that that's really baffling, but also because it's not clear where Kelly was in this exact story, and also because it's this also involves White House counsel Don McGahn, yeah. who reportedly knew about these allegations even earlier than Kelly did, perhaps even earlier than perhaps Ryan's Priebus may have done, the previous chief of staff. And so I think in a sense, because Kelly's entire ethos seems to be, I'm on Team Trump, ergo, I will defend Team Trump even when it makes absolutely no sense. I think that and combined with the overall chaos of this whole litany of excuses and timelines might protect him in a sense. Yeah. I mean, I I think that this is, is this, do you think this is the first time that the Me Too, I, I really dislike calling things a movement, but if anything's a movement, it does seem like Me Too is. This is the, I think the first time that testimony of two women along the lines of I need to be believed and, you know, speak my truth and have my have my testimony be heard has actually touched someone in the White House. I mean, obviously, we've had 20 now accusers against Trump of, you know, of sexual misconduct, and they haven't been heard. You know, there was allegations of domestic abuse against Steve Bannon. But this time, you have this confluence of the two biggest stories of our time, I think, in the form of first bring down Rob Porter and then try to sort out where the complicity machine is. The FBI was had blown the whistle on him. And then there were, you know, people who circled the wagons around him. Um, and that's what we've seen with the Harvey Weinstein um, investigations and prosecution, prosecution in the media, at least. And, you know, I find that extremely interesting because... You could see this story of Rob Porter as a distraction. Why are we talking about domestic abuse when, two, you know, last week we were talking about the Democratic memo in response to the Nunes memo about the FBI, you know, about about FBI overreach. Now we're on this other story, but one story seems to be an allegory for the other. Or it all seems to be part of a master narrative, at least to me. Well, I think um, I'll, I'll kind of answer you and talk about this in two separate, in two separate points. I think... There, there seems to be this conclusion that, oh, the media is getting distracted from, yeah. you know, talking about the Democratic memo by talking about Rob Porter. And I'm like, you know, we're not cats. Generally, <laughs> we can hang on to multiple storylines all at once. Yeah. You know, if I could make it through multiple seasons of watching Nip Tuck, I think I can handle this, too. <laughs> that was a confusing and show. That was a very confusing <laughs> show. Um, but, it, you know, I think also with regard to the allegations against Trump himself, I think that that does play into how Trump views this. I think that it plays into his sense of, you know, I protect those closest to me. And if allegations are made, particularly allegations made by women are made against men who are close to me, I will always believe men, mm-hmm. um, which is, in, is interesting because, you know, you see all these anonymous sources going to Axios and saying that, you know, oh, but Trump called Porter a sick puppy. And I'm like, well, he could have said that out loud hmm. in front of a camera mm-hmm. to a person. Mm-hmm. But no, apparently not. Now, I will say, I think that um, 
it's always worth recognizing that with this White House that is so leaky, yeah. you know, it is worth kind of thinking, where are these leaks coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, there, it's been noted that there are people within the White House um, who are very opposed to John Kelly's tenure for various reasons, uh, allegedly among those Trump's daughter, Ivanka. And so there is reason to believe that a lot of the information we're getting about Kelly, specifically, you know, he knew that Porter would never receive a permanent security clearance. He knew this perhaps in November, perhaps in January of this year. A lot of this information may be coming from people who have their own motivations in wanting Kelly out. And so I think that that's also worth noting. The reconsideration that we're currently having, especially in the media, about who John Kelly is, um, I think this reconsideration, one, should have come way sooner. But also it's worth noting a lot of this information may be coming from people who kind of want us to keep talking about how John Kelly needs to go. And, you know, I think that there have been some rumors swirling around that a potential replacement for uh, John Kelly might be Gary Cohn. We're not sure about that. But I, I, I want us to be really careful in talking about, you know, if you are seeing information about someone within this administration, that information was released for a reason. That is a brilliant point. One good one to leave on, as they say on Tootsie, to, said in Tootsie, this is one nutty hospital. Um, exactly. <laughs> thanks so much for talking, Jane. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Follow us on Twitter at RealTrumpcast. Not that I can go to Twitter because I've been hacked. Did I tell you guys that? At RealTrumpcast. Follow us there. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.